Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Rachel Zimmerman Show on KMOX. want to give a big thank you to everyone who listens and everyone who podcasts. Just as a reminder, if you are listening on the radio, if you miss any part of today's conversation, you can podcast the show on the Odyssey app or anywhere else you get your podcasts. So I want to start this episode with uh, something I can't stop thinking about from this week. So let me start by saying I have never seen a full episode of The Daily Show. I'm not necessarily a Daily Show fan fan, but I do like Jon Stewart quite a bit. He seems like a nice person and he's pretty funny. And he recently uh, got some flack for making fun of President Biden or not. I mean, partially making fun and partially just pointing out like, hey, sometimes this guy doesn't seem like he's the most youthful or he has the most energy in the world. Maybe we should look into that. And he received a lot of criticism just for saying that. Here's a little clip from his show on Monday. I just think it's better to deal head on with what's an apparent issue to people. I mean, we're just, we're just talking here. And Mary Trump tweeting, not only is Stewart's both sides are the same rhetoric not funny, it's a potential disaster for democracy. It's one f***ing show! It was just one show! It's 20 minutes! I did 20 minutes of one show! But I guess as the famous saying goes, democracy dies in discussion. against you. I'm sorry. It was never my intention to say out loud what I saw with my eyes and then brain. So obviously a clever response to the criticism he had received. People like Keith Olbermann and, oh gosh, I don't know, some other people uh, were saying like, oh, he's so bad for this administration. He's both sidesing this argument. This is unacceptable. And look, Joe Biden is not the perfect candidate. We can't pretend like every single thing he's doing is on the mark here. People have real concerns about Joe Biden's health and Joe Biden's age. And frankly, it's on him and his administration to clear up those fears with people. And I say fears because I do think it is a fear. People are afraid of what's going to happen if we elect someone who's not up to the job. Now, could Joe Biden be perfectly fine? Absolutely. He could be totally fine. And this is all a misunderstanding. But at a certain point, whenever the rumors are swirling like this, it's it's on you to clear them up. Right. So I was just kind of proud of Jon Stewart for not backing down when he received this kind of criticism, because I think that the loud people on the left and on the right um, 
they just want to bully you into being quiet and not speaking your mind and being a part of the process. They want things to go their way. And you know what? Fine. But it's up to the reasonable people who uh, are not going to bully you into a, a state of mind. It's up to us to go, hey, all right, fine. You can feel the way you feel, but I'm just going to keep speaking on what I want to speak on. So good for him. I hope he keeps going. I hope he keeps trolling the Biden administration because it's funny. Come on, people. Let's have a sense of humor about things. I mean, oh, my goodness. If we can't make fun of the president of the United States, I mean, that is the definition of punching up. (laughs) I mean, you can't take that job and expect people to not have criticisms of you or make fun of you, especially when you're doing things that are objectively funny. I mean, come on. So good for Jon Stewart. That's something I just couldn't let go of this week. And I wanted to share with you guys on The Rachel Zimmerman Show. So coming up on the show... I'm going to talk to Megan Lynch. You know her from Total Information AM here on KMOX. I really look up to Megan a lot, and we had a great conversation, and I'm looking forward to playing it for you in the next segment. You're listening to The Rachel Zimmerman Show on KMOX. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. This week's interview is with the wonderful and talented Megan Lynch. Now, you know Megan's voice from Total Information AM Monday through Friday. She does an amazing job, and she is very knowledgeable when it comes to journalism, when it comes to media, when it comes to the current climate. So I thought this was a really fun and interesting conversation. I hope you'll enjoy. Okay, so Megan, thank you so much for agreeing to be on the Rachel Zimmerman Show. I really appreciate it. And it's just good to see you because a lot of times we're like two ships passing in the night here. Like we've got mornings and afternoons and I just don't get to see you and interact with you a lot. So I appreciate you coming on the show. No, it's good to sit in here with you. So tell me about um, like your origin story, kind of. How did you get started at KMOX? Let me back up a second. I recently went to this like news writing workshop that you hosted and I was so impressed by your education, just your background in media. So tell the audience about that. So I actually have a master's degree in public affairs reporting, which is not a requirement at all to be in broadcasting. It just was the path I had graduated from uh, college and really didn't know what my next steps were. Didn't have anything lined out. I knew I wanted to be in radio news. That was kind of the direction that things had taken me in my studies at SIUE. 
And, I, you know, I was told about the public affairs reporting program in Springfield, Illinois. It's what was formerly Sangamon State University. It's the U of I Springfield now. And so that really set me up on a path where I worked for a few years in public radio, both in Springfield, Illinois, and then went down to Southern at Carbondale because that's where my husband was studying at the time. And I had come in contact with a few few people. You know how it is in this business. You make a few contacts, and they reached out to me from KMOX. Tom Langmire was a program director at the time, and he said, would you be interested in being a traffic reporter? And I thought, this is completely foreign to me. Now, I've lived in the area a little bit when I was a student at SIUE, but wasn't terribly familiar. But I thought, all right, I'll interview for this job. I didn't find out until I interviewed for the job that it was an airborne traffic reporter (laughs) and I would be flying in a plane twice a day (laughs) working a split shift. But I thought, this is what you do. You never say no Mm -hmm. to an opportunity. So that's basically how I broke into St. Louis media. That's how a lot of people knew me. I still have people who come up to me and say, oh, yeah, I remember when you used to do traffic. I did that for four years, even though really at my core, I was a serious news person. I had already had some pieces that had aired on NPR and some other public radio outlets nationally. But that was the way I managed to work myself back into a newsroom again was by doing traffic reporting. I'm talking to KMOX's Megan Lynch. When when you started doing traffic reporting, not not being like super from the area, did you have to familiarize yourself with the weird way we pronounce all these French words? I was terrible. I mean, literally <laughs> terrible. I remember after maybe my first week or two on the air, I don't know if it, people probably remember Alan Barklage, the late great traffic reporter who also flew the helicopter. Uh, he said to my boss, she's she's not good. Oh, he, no. She doesn't know what she's doing. You got to get her out of this job. And I remember saying to her, I can do this. Just give me a chance. So they literally had me drive around St. Louis looking for landmarks that I could spot from the air. But I do remember one time I was lost. I had gone to cover a story. I was lost. I called my boyfriend at the time, my husband now, and I said, I'm at such and such and Chateau. (laughs) And he was like, where are you? And I'm like, Chateau. And he goes, oh, (laughs) Shoto. That's how we say it around these parts. Yeah. (laughs) So I had a lot of learning to do. So you say whenever you graduated college, you knew you wanted to be in radio news. How did you get to that point? Like what what put you on that path? I actually thought I was going to be like a 60s, 70s rock DJ. Really? That when I, you know, when I first went to school, even though I had done some some news in high school, I thought that's, you know, what I'm set out for. But the only jobs available at the campus radio station were in the newsroom. Mm. So I got channeled into that. Uh, One of my first news directors, he actually has had a longtime career now at Voice of America in, in journalism, um, there were a couple other news directors that I worked for while I was at SIUE, and they really just gave me that news bug and showed me that it was something that, that I could do. Um, I, I've learned to really love to tell other people's stories, and, and for me, it's not about my voice. It's for getting other people's mm-hmm. voices out there, so I've really enjoyed 
just all the things that I have gotten to learn and then tell listeners about over the years. That's really cool. And I'm always surprised by how many people, myself included, when they tell their story, when it comes to radio, it's like, I just kind of fell in with this genre and I fell in love and I stayed on that path. Mm -hmm. It's just really amazing. Yeah, because one of my internships was at WIL, which was a country station, and that was in the news department with the great Gene Hirsch. He was a phenomenal professional, wore a three-piece suit every day and polished wingtip shoes Mm -hmm. and just learned so much from him. And, you know, he, he was another one of those that was like, why are you wanting to be a DJ? You need to be in news. You know, that's really where your talents fit. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I had just attended this workshop that you hosted and I was just it was just so cool to see how the newsroom runs and how you guys pare things down and focus in on things. That's so really, really impressive and really cool to someone like me who does like <laughs> fart jokes in the afternoon. Um, I'm wondering, though, as a journalist, how do you separate personal uh, biases from the story? Or is that even as big of a deal as a lot of people outside of the media think it is? Because we live in this world where it's like, oh, everything's so biased, everything's slanted. And I'm wondering, when you do what you do, is that even like a consideration whenever you're writing your stories? We all have bias, let's face it. I remember one time when I was a young journalist, I got really offended. There was a book that was released, and I think that was literally the title was Bias. And I thought, no, you know, we, we're not biased. But as, as I've gotten older, yeah, I mean, we all have life experiences that we bring into this. And so I think you just have to guard against it. You always have to be thinking, is there another perspective on this story? And as a matter of fact, are there two or three more perspectives on this topic? And, you know, I've had to counsel younger journalists in the newsroom lately about you've got to take yourself out of the picture as much as maybe because of of who you are and your upbringing, things may really offend you. You have to take a step back from that and present a balanced view to our listener because they may have a complete opposite view, but they're still your listener. And I think there's a value. Like a lot of people will say, well, why did you let this extreme group give their perspective? Because I think there's a value in knowing what's out there and what people are saying. Um, You know, we can't hide our head in the sand. We have to know Mm -hmm. all the sides of it. And I'm talking with Megan Lynch from KMOX on The Rachel Zimmerman Show. Let's let's talk about what the media for a second. I know you said that this is a podcast that's on hiatus, but it was a big deal at KMOX whenever it was going on. What made you and your partner want to start that podcast? I think there has been, and I think a lot of it was kind of an outgrowth of all the misinformation that you see nowadays, um, a lot of the political spin that you see, the attacks on the media, and really a realization that maybe we are not as transparent as we need to be with our audience. That we think because, you know, we're in this doing it every day that, gosh, people should just trust us. But I think that we've lost that trust. And there's reasons why we've lost that trust. And I don't blame people in some respects because there have been some journalists and some outlets that have not been, um, that have not been ethical in how they've handled things. So I think we need to rebuild that trust. And I think part of that is just showing this is kind of showing your work. This is how we do our work. And these are the considerations that we have. And, you know, especially where so many people are on social media nowadays 
it's so easy to get sucked into things and not really see another perspective. Mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, for for us, like I go to multiple sources a day. It's just as a matter of course what we do. But I think for a lot of people out there, they have their certain sources they go to and they don't think about that. So just encouraging people to have a little bit broader view, you know, make sure you're getting the full picture. The word that keeps popping into my mind as you're describing this is humility, like kind of having the humility to be like, maybe I don't know everything. Maybe there is an outside perspective. Maybe we do need to let all the voices be heard. I I think so, definitely. And I think that comes with, boy, when I was a 25-year-old broadcaster, no, I knew it all. Mm. I mean, and I think a lot of us when we're young, yeah, we think, you know, we're fired up. We've, you know, fire in our belly. You know, we've we've taken our ethics class. We've got it all figured out. And then I think by the time you get in your 40s and 50s, you're like, oh, yeah, this is a lot more nuanced than I realized. And it really is a relationship with our community and with our listeners, whether sometimes it's not a two way because, you know, we're kind of communicating one way. But you realize, like, that's a privilege to do what we do. It's not some right. We're not superstars. We're not personalities. We're also a member of the community, and we have a responsibility in what we do that we're, we're honest in our work. I love that. Um, so, obvious, I think media's role is changing. How do you kind of square that with being in—we're in traditional media. We're in old media, kind of. How do you make those two things fit together? I remember when KMOX got our first website and we were all like, why are we doing this? Why? why <laughs> this is we, a flash in the yeah, pan. Why are we wasting <laughs> our time on this? We have stories to write to put on the air. And then over time, you know, it became more important for a while. It was almost more important than what we were doing on the air. We felt like now I think we're getting a better balance of things we see that it it all kind of works together and and I just think that's that happens in the business um and I was talking with someone the other day just about how anyone in media you know whether you're talking about the entertainment industry or the news industry you have to continually adapt and try to take advantage of where people are and so I mean, we've, we're on a number of different social media streams. You know, a lot of us have our own social media channels that we use to reach out to the community. So you just have to find a way to try to bring all that together and, and link it together for our audience. Are you ever intimidated by the the new media? Like, oh, this is what everybody seems to be gravitating towards. Or do you think that what we do is always going to have a place? I think what we do is always going to have a place. I think that an important part of that is, for example, I have to work very hard to stay relevant with some of the newer platforms. It's just hard. You know, with everything you've got going on, I'm not, for example, a regular Snapchat user. Well, my teenager is. So, you know, I have to kind of learn through him and and ask those questions of him so that if that's a platform that we would choose to use or TikTok may be a better example where a lot of um, our younger audience is using that more. Um, but the challenge there is it doesn't have the same kind of links maybe that Facebook or Twitter does. So mm-hmm. you just have to approach it in a different way. And I think, um, you know, I think that's where some of the previous generations really missed out because they weren't 
willing to embrace some of the new things. I had a professor, for example, who told us in school that Fox Network would never make it. Hmm. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, I've learned, like, never say never. And you always have to be watching what's next and figure out how you're going to fit that in with what you're doing. You mentioned you have a teenager. I'm assuming, I mean, you just seem like more savvy than the average mom whenever it comes to stuff like that. Is that ever frustrating for them? Like, oh, gosh, she has her finger on the pulse of what's going on. I think like it makes me a little more relatable, hopefully, to them. And frankly, both of them are pretty news savvy. Um, I've got a 15-year-old and a 12-year-old. My 15-year-old, when I get home, I have to be prepped because he will say, What happened in the news today? He wants to know from my perspective what the top stories were that I was watching or covering compared to maybe what he's seen on TikTok. Yeah, he does. He wants to talk it out. And we've talked a lot with him, especially about the sources that you go to, because for a while he was bringing things up and we were like, where are you getting that Mm -hmm. from? That is not based in reality. And we tell him, well, try these news sources and don't just go to one, go to several. And and now my 12-year-old, she also has a news feed that pops up on her phone and she'll ask me about various headlines. And I have to really be prepped to say, well, that's what this story is about or mm, that story is not quite the way the headline makes it out to be. Let's go to this news source and and look at the story versus that one. Does it ever, when you see some of these headlines sometimes that are obviously just there for clicks and there for attention, does that ever hurt your heart sometimes? Like, do you wish you could just go into their newsroom and be like, let's be a little more honest, folks? It is hard because I think we all walk that line of wanting to hook that listener or that viewer in. And so, you know... <laughs> It does get frustrating sometimes, but I guess I see through it. And I think people just need to be smarter to see through it. Like, yeah, you know what the clickbaity things are. And we all click on them sometimes Mm -hmm. just to see what's there. So, you know, I don't know that it, I don't think it upsets me as much as it used to. Just because, yeah, there's times it's fun to go down that rabbit hole and click on those links and see what's there. And yeah, sometimes you're like, oh, you got me, you know. (laughs) But, um, you know, I I hope that that savvy media users see the difference and they see when things are done with integrity and when things are done just to be salacious and grab your attention. Do you think we should be teaching media literacy in schools like before kids go to college? I do. I think It's hard because there are some groups that think that it's kind of part of a woke philosophy, for lack of a better term, and they think it's indoctrinating kids. But I think when you really look at it, like there's some guidelines that you can give that are basically neutral, nonpartisan about how you, you know, how you go about getting good information. And a lot of it is really rooted in investigative journalism. For example, things like I've mentioned reading laterally reading a lot of different sources. You know, there's nothing wrong with reading things on both sides of the political spectrum. I think it gives you a good balance. You know, things like making sure when you're directed to a news site, you look at who's behind it. Is it funded by any specific group? Are they asking for donations? Sometimes that's a red flag if they're asking for donations. Well, who's really behind it? Um, I remember one time, a friend of mine posted something on Facebook 
and she came from a very specific religious philosophy and she was pushing out this article and something about it made me suspicious. So I went to look at who it was by and I reached out to her privately. I said, do you realize that this is actually coming from a religious group that is absolutely in contrast to what you believe? Mm -hmm. And she was a little upset at first. And I'm like, just dig into it for yourself. But I think those are the kind of steps that we need to take to be really good digital citizens. And that has nothing to do with influencing kids, um, but learning to give them, they need critical thinking skills. They need to be able to think on their own and look at red flags and say, this doesn't make sense. I need to look at this further. That's got to be especially intimidating with all these, the rise of deep fakes and stuff coming up on an election year. I think we all could use a refresher on what is true and what's not true and how to look for the truth. Um, Okay, I'm selfishly very excited for the answer to this question. I think you're an amazing interviewer. Uh, I love TIAM. How do you approach your interviews? Like, how do you prep for them? Because you just always come so prepared. I prep. Yeah. yeah. And that that's really what it comes down to is just that prep work. Because I feel like if you're taking someone's time, even if it's eight to 10 minutes, that it is important that you show them that you're interested, that you've done a little bit of homework. And that's not to say that you have all the answers going into an interview. But I always feel like it's my responsibility if I have that opportunity to talk to someone that I'm interviewing them for the listener. Mm-hmm. So number one, I always feel like you've got to hook the listener in. Why are we talking to this person? Like, why does it matter to anyone that we're talking to this individual? And then you've got to give people the basics. You can't, even if I might have a whole lot of knowledge about a subject, I can't just jump in midstream. I have to set it up for the listener of, you know, why are we talking to this person? What's important? You know, really take time. For example, when I do a book interview, I want to at least like read a few chapters to get a sense of of what it's about, um, because I think that honors the person in their work. Um, you know, and I think, too, people expect when they are interviewed on KMOX, especially big newsmakers, they should expect that we're going to ask some tough questions. So it doesn't mean you I'm, I never want to be a jerk to anyone, but I, I do we need to press people, especially if we don't have anyone from the other side on at that moment. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to be prepared if they make a statement to say, well, you know, this other person would argue this. What's your reaction right. to that? Um, what are some of the biggest challenges you think journalists face in 2024? I think it's getting information out of government bodies. Interesting. I've noticed a big change, I would say, over the past decade or two of being able to access information. Um, I feel like there are a lot more gatekeepers. I think, too, agencies are pretty strapped and stretched for personnel so that when you make an information request, a lot of times you have to tailor it pretty narrowly for them to have the time to give you what you need. I mean, we used to be able to make pretty broad information requests and they were granted and you get great stories. Nowadays, just getting to the right person and then getting to the kind of information that you need can be a real challenge. A lot of times you have to pay for it. Wow. Um, for newsrooms, that's it's impossible for a lot of newsrooms to be able to pay for big information requests or big data sets. So I would say that's that's the big challenge. 
um, and and getting that data and having the time to crunch it. Um, there's some investigative resources that reporters have, but you you have to have the time to be able to to do it. And um, you know, I'm I'm very concerned about uh, cuts in local news media. We've lost a lot of local newspapers over the past decade. That should concern people that we don't have those watchdogs out there mm-hmm. watching things that need to be watched in the community. You probably recognize her voice. I'm talking to Megan Lynch from KMOX on The Rachel Zimmerman Show. And I've noticed this, too, in the afternoons. I'm sure you guys deal with it in the mornings. There's a lot of times you want to speak to a public official, but they're going to go to a station that maybe has their back more as far as the narrative goes. It's like, (laughs) well, how are you ever going to get your message out to a larger group of people? Yeah, I think it's very fractured. I, and I think, you know, people are very, I know the term has been used, siloed. Mm-hmm. You know, there are some people that are never going to hear anything other than what they absolutely want to hear. And what do you do? I mean, you can try to put the message out there, but you can't force people, you know, to, to go to the other news sources. So you just have to trust that there's enough people out there that, that want to do that that are smart and savvy. So I'm wondering, what are some of these subjects that you tackle that you are most passionate about covering? I'd love to cover anything kind of for the underdog. I'd love to, I don't mind talking to public officials, but I love to talk to real people that have real issues. I think, um, you know, last year we did the story about the student online surveillance how there are services that are being paid by school districts to come in and basically watch every keystroke that a kid makes and flag things like guns or violence or self-harm and kind of the pros and cons of that. I find that to be a topic that affects a ton of people, you know, what what their kids are doing in school. So it's, it's those kind of things. I remember one of the first stories that I got an award for was a family and they were trying to get coverage for their child's rare form of cancer. And it was one of those things where I just kept pressing and making phone calls to try to help them navigate the system. And they ended up getting coverage uh, for their son. And so that to me was um, very empowering that we could use our resources and our knowledge of how to contact people and make a change for that family. And maybe along the way, teach other families how to do that kind of advocacy for themselves. That's amazing. Um, I know you've won many awards. What are some of the, you know, your highlights, the ones you're most proud of? We won an award at the station. We had gone back years ago. The station had done a big report on drunk driving. And so the news director at the time asked me to go back and see if anything had changed, I think, in like 10 or 20 years. Lo and behold, not much had changed. Um, The amazing thing was that the news director gave me two full weeks of reports to do. I, I said, you know, there are so many angles to this story. I need 10 parts. And wow. he, he let me do it. I mean, and um, we won an award. We won a number of awards um, from MAD. We got a Murrow for that one, a regional Murrow. Um, we won another award that I was able to go up to New York to receive. Um, got to meet Connie Chung mm, that cool. time, which was so cool. <laughs> um, so, you know, that was one that I felt like had an impact. Um, just there's been so much that I've gotten to do. School bus safety, um, addiction, all kinds of stuff. So you just won an Odyssey Award. What was your award for? I'm sorry. It's it was for my... innovation. Oh, yeah. Um, so I guess being 
courageous. I don't know that I'm courageous. I think I'm just competitive. <laughs> well, that's what I was going to ask about, because whenever you received the award, you and Tom Ackerman were talking about how competitive you are. And I thought that was so interesting. And I'm feeling it now t- talking to you as far as like you want to chase down a story. You want to get to the truth. Kind of expand on that for me. How has that affected your career, your competitive spirit? I think getting the story first and getting it right Boy, there's nothing there's nothing worse than you've been working maybe three or four weeks on a story and then the TV station has it. Mm. And you're like, oh, you know, if I just would have gotten that done a week earlier, we could have had the story. I don't know why. It's just a little thrill when you report something and then you see another news outlet follow up on it and you know it's because they were listening to your report. And it's like, yeah, (laughs) I got that one first. And I guess it's just the thought that that's how we compete for listeners is, you know, if you can get it out there first and they know that you're the source and they know it's going to be correct when they tune into you, it's just a source of pride. And, you know, I I guess I just, um, I've always had that competitive spirit. Ask anybody that's played sports with me. (laughs) Um, I'm very competitive. So um, just that... Intensity. I've been kind of criticized for my intensity in the past, but there's times it serves me well. Well, Megan, thank you so much for joining me. It was a great conversation, and I I really learned a lot. I appreciate you. Oh, I always enjoy talking with you. All right, thanks. Thank you for listening to The Rachel Zimmerman Show on KMOX. Hope you enjoyed my interview with Megan Lynch. If you missed any part of that conversation, and it was a really nice conversation about media, I appreciated it a lot. Uh, if you missed any part of that conversation, go to the Odyssey app and podcast The Rachel Zimmerman Show there, or you can download the show pretty much anywhere you get your podcasts. But I prefer the Odyssey app because um, it has a lot of great uses. First of all, you can listen to KMOX Even if you're not in a great signal, it's just crystal clear streaming. So that's really, really nice. And there's also a huge library of shows that we don't even play on KMOX that you can access their podcast library. So definitely something to keep in mind. All right. uh, I have a couple stories here that I wanted to talk about with you guys on the RZS. Should I call it that? I don't know. It feels kind of weird because I'm on the Dave Glover show and we call it the DGS. I just label all of my my files and stuff for this as the RZS, but I don't want to seem like I'm ripping anybody off. So let me know your thoughts on Twitter at Rachel Z S D L. Should I stay away from that? Should I just call it the Rachel Zimmerman show? Does anyone out there care at all? Probably not, Uh, but I'm throwing it out there. You can let me know your thoughts on the situation. Here's a story I wanted to talk about here. Um, A guy in D.C. is suing Powerball and the D.C. lottery, so he's from D.C., after they posted the wrong numbers online, and he thought he'd won $340 million. Oh, my goodness. That is just devastating to think you won that large sum of money, and then it turns out uh, they posted the numbers wrong. So this happened in January of last year. A guy in D.C. named John Cheeks bought a Powerball ticket. He went online a day after the drawing to check the winning numbers, and his numbers matched. And, of course, like I said, the jackpot was $340 bucks. So he took a photo of the ticket. He didn't tell a lot of people about it because he didn't want the world word getting out there. But when he went to cash it in, he was told he hadn't actually won. It turns out that Washington, D.C.'s official lottery site posted the wrong numbers. So instead of matching all five in the Powerball, he had actually not matched any numbers. 
So like I said, this happened in January of last year, but he's back in the news now because he's suing Powerball and the D.C. lottery. He says they listed the wrong numbers for three days and he wants them to pay up. And his lawyer says a similar thing happened last year in Iowa when they reported bad numbers. People who cashed in before the error got fixed were paid out, but no one hit the jackpot. And all the payouts were between $4 and $200. So obviously a different situation than the $340 million. So I don't think this guy is expecting the entire jackpot here, but don't you think he could he should get something or at least some free lottery tickets or something? I don't know. That would be so upsetting to think you hit the jackpot like that and it turns out, mm, actually through no fault of your own, you are mistaken. So that's a giant bummer. Good luck to that guy. Here's another story. Uh, it's kind of morbid. A nursing home got Valentine's Day cards, which is really nice. Anytime someone sends Christmas cookies and Christmas cards and, you know, Valentine's to a nursing home, I just think that's like such a sweet gesture. But it turns out this nursing home got a big batch of Valentine's Day cards for, for its residents from a funeral home. And some family members are saying, yeah, that's uh, pretty insensitive. The cards were really nice. They had a red heart and a pink bow. And uh, supposedly the residents were overjoyed to receive them, which oh, that's really, really sweet. But on the inside, it said sent with love from T.H. Sanders and Sons. That is a funeral home in the community. Some family members were upset, saying this is really insensitive and shameless marketing. And uh, some even blamed the nursing home because the cards weren't mailed to them. I guess the funeral home dropped them out, dropped them off. The funeral home ended up apologizing for any unintended distress. Uh, and the nursing home says, that's eh, no big deal. We value the fact that they gave us these cards and our residents were thrilled to receive them. And they all had a lovely day celebrating. So I guess if the residents weren't upset, then everything's OK. But it's still one of those situations where eh, not such a great look. <laughs> Anyway, guys, I hope you have an amazing weekend. It's been a fun show. Looking forward to talking to you next week. Bye. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.